There we go. We are live. It's 1.30pm. It's Sunday and we are episode 33 of Unchat Live. And welcome. Thank you for joining us if you're watching live and if you're listening on the podcast or watching YouTube, then thank you very much. Um, so here we go. Very excited today. I've just been chatting to our guest uh, for quite a while, actually. Um, Dr. Izzy Moore will be with us very shortly. And we're going to be talking about, I've, I've really tried to push this as always, but on social media for therapists, because the question of how much research should you be following um, how do you tell what's quality research and not a lot of the poor stuff that's out there? Um, I think they're really important questions um, for all therapists, all healthcare professionals. Um, if you're claiming to stay up to date with uh, current best practice and evidence-based practice. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. I'm hoping that a lot of you benefit from it. Um, before I do that, um, I'd like to mention, I forgot last week, so I felt terrible about that, but our sponsors, the Brighton Beer Company. Um uh, very thank you for, to them. Um, as always, um, if you do, uh, if you are the Hasute uh, member, then uh, make sure you do head over to the BrightonBeerCompany.co.uk. Um, they um, have some fantastic products. Um, obviously, I'm a user myself. Um, let's just bring them up and have a little look at their website. There we go. Um, yeah, definitely head over there. Um, they uh, have got some fantastic offers, and you can get an offer too from us. If you just use the code, um, where are we, RCL20, um, then you will get a 20% discount off their products. Um, so what's better than that? Just RCL20, and you can get yourself, whether it's balms, oils, brushes, um, beautiful kind of uh, bags and stuff, grooming bags. It's all there. So make sure you have a little look um, for our wonderful sponsors. Um, also want to mention, I also said on social media, just before I bring um, uh, Dr. Izzy Moore up, um, I've had quite a few emails about people who are interested in starting podcasts themselves. It used to be quite a scary thing, didn't it? But now everybody's kind of like, oh, actually, I want to do that. It's a great way of engaging with people. And if you've got something good to say, then uh, it's a good way of doing it. Um, and so obviously, I've had a look around. And I've used different formats, but I'm very happy with the software I use at the moment. And I chatted with them. And obviously, they're happy for me to tell you about it. So be live. Um, so it's you can reach it. It's either be live.tv or be.live. But that's the software I use. Um, obviously, I'm biased because I use it, but it's everything that I need. And I would definitely recommend that you use it, um, especially if you're just starting out and you want something simple, uh, minimum uh, problems in terms of how much you're going to have to um, edit it afterwards. It's minimal. In fact, you don't really have to edit it really at all. Um, what I would um, suggest is they do do a free introductory um, trial. It used to be 15 days, but with this link I'm going to give you, you actually get 33 days to test it out. And you don't have to go directly live. You can test it out yourself, watch it back. You could do it privately with a friend or something. But it really is a great bit of software. Um, and with the link I'm going to give you, they've also got this competition at the moment where if you sign up uh, before the end of September, um, then you could win. You're going to need a decent mic. I don't know spend more than £100, but the mic on your laptop's not going to be great. You're going to need a USB mic. And they've got one of the best ones out there, definitely, um, which is the Blue Yeti mic. It's a blackout edition. Let's have a little picture on there. Um, the Blue Yeti mic is the one that you'll see whenever you do a search for what mic should I be using for podcasting? This one will come up. Um, it's the standard one, which they recommend a USB mic, which has got game control and everything. So yeah, if you sign up for a test on Belive, 
software, then your name will go into a little hat and they will draw a winner, I think, on October the 1st um, and give one of you a free, I think it's probably about 100, 100 look at the price, 100, 120 pounds or something um, for a Blue Yeti mic. So that's uh, uh, well worth doing. The link you'll need, I'll make sure it flashes up underneath as well. But if you're listening on the podcast, basically it's trial, as in T-R-I-A-L dot B, B-E dot live forward slash podcasting. So that's trial, T-R-I-A-L dot B, B-E dot live forward slash podcasting. Okay. No credit card needed to get on the trial thing. Nothing at all. Don't worry. They're lovely people and they're global. They've got a great help desk as well, which you can reach within five minutes. Literally, they're there waiting to help you. Uh, So free trial. Your name goes in. You could win this microphone. I recommend it. I'm not getting anything for this. I just kind of recommend it. I like to help people out there. So there you go. Um, okay. And let me know how it goes. Right. That all said and out of the done. Anything else I need to say? I'm very keen to get Dr. Moore up here. I don't think so. No, that's it. Right. Episode 33. Um, let us bring up Dr. Izzy Moore is a name, which if you're if definitely, if you look after runners and you follow the research or well, the name should be there. And as I always say with my guests, if it's not there, then not shame on you, but I'm going to make your life better because it should be there. Um, so many uh, published papers which are relative uh, gait retraining uh, um, and various running injuries, very current, very respected. So um, I'm very happy to bring her to you today. She's also going to be speaking at the Run Check Live conference, which I'm very excited about because she, by her own admission, hasn't done a lot of conferences. Um, so I'm very honoured to be able to present her with all the other speakers down in Brighton on october the 30th and 31st um tickets are still available for that so make sure that you do head over to rcl2019.eventbrite.com and snap that up um uh, all details are on runchatlive.com and on that website if you need some help because you're in a certain condition haven't got enough money for a ticket like i say always let me know yeah um, I'm, i just want you to get there i want to make it as accessible as possible to everybody right that's said and done Let's bring that down and I'll give her a little five second countdown and I will introduce to you Dr. Izzy Moore. There we go. Hello. Sorry to keep you waiting. That's okay. No worries. I'm so conscious of like, oh, I just want to get talking to you, let alone other people listening. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. That's okay. Uh, thank you for the invite to come and chat and also for the conference. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, I'm really pleased. No, I'm really, I mean, like I said to you offline, so I didn't want to kind of make your head suddenly swell now without letting you know. But honestly, amongst the other nine speakers, I mean, and as you know, there's some really respected speakers out there. You are the person who they most want to see and meet. <laughs> well, well, hopefully, live up to expectations, but um, it, it would just be good to get all of us in the same room, I think. I'm really. Very excited to meet a lot of them that I've never met either. So um, should be good. Fantastic, yeah. No, it'd be a great. It'd be great. And like I said to you before, I'm really excited about you guys meeting each each other as well, because especially in the days these days of social media, you can know somebody maybe for five, six. There's some people there for ten years who I've been watching yeah. and I haven't actually met them. Um, and you can get the wrong impression without mentioning any names. You can watch someone on social media and think they're an absolute monster. Yeah. Um, and thinking, I don't, I don't think I'm the lightest person. Then you meet them and you realise, in most cases, no, in all cases, I think for me, they're actually human. Surprise, yeah. surprise, and they're all right. Yeah. And you're probably on the same page. 
but anyway so yeah thanks very much and that'll be great um to, to see you live in october as well um right so where do we start let's have a little look i've definitely created a sheet i've got so many questions i want to ask you today um and i don't want to get ahead of myself so running research um one of the leading researchers i described you has in running injury and performance um and not just the uk really i mean it's international isn't it your papers do you recognize that or <laughs> uh well uh it's it's very nice for you to say i guess that's where it's where we're hoping we can aim to be um i think uh, i'm still building a bit of momentum but um i think actually social media has definitely helped with actually broadening the base um of individuals i'm interacting with so i'm certainly interacting with a lot more international researchers than i was before um probably about two or three years ago yeah no it's wicked um i th i think well you managed to and i respect you for this you managed to or maybe you have to stay away from social media i think we were chatting before i mean you probably think yeah well it's not my choice i just haven't got time i'm i'm, I'm a researcher i've got time to be out there on social media but um I think it was interesting and I'm jumping in here ahead of myself because I knew I would, but obviously if you are involved in the world you're in, you haven't really got time, have you, to be on social media talking about it or the desire? Yeah, it can be, it can be challenging. Um, you kind of, I guess you need to know what you want to use the social media for. Um, so I tend to be a lot more active when I know that we've got research that's coming out rather than necessarily engaging with just day-to-day -day kind of ongoing thoughts and discussions uh, because yeah so you know I try not to kind of take it all home and spend lots of time at home even though that's when I think actually things are perhaps more active than during just kind of the work hours um, and it's very easy to get drawn into uh, when people do start debating so I've, I've fallen into the trap a few times uh, like I say I've get, I'm getting better at trying to uh, use a bit of use an app to put tweets out at certain times rather than necessarily having to do it myself when when there is something to say so I, I only I try and stick more to when I know I've got something to say rather than just general thoughts uh, I suppose that's my tactic anyway and is it tricky sometimes when you do dip in there just have a little look maybe um when you see kind of some of the stuff getting put there particularly with research because again in terms of keyboard warriors it's a very easy area to kind of suddenly criticize a paper and say why didn't they do this why didn't they do that this paper's rubbish and you who obviously know the work that goes into it you're probably sitting there thinking how little you know <laughs> yeah it can be there, there are often times where you half write a tweet and then just delete it and just uh, you kind of you have to try and weigh up <laughs> is it worth worth the energy to engage is it are you actually going to be able to get a sensible discussion and dialogue going? Because something is really nice to hear and understand what what people are picking up on or what they don't see is is useful. But um, yeah, it can, I kind of I've I've definitely learned I've not to engage in in everything because sometimes it's it, to be honest, it isn't actually as worth it from our time or or perhaps our anger levels to to do it. Um, yeah. How about for your for your the people you teach your students? I mean, do you recommend do you still kind of sell social media as a good way to keep in touch yeah. with research? Yeah, I, I 
tell all my so my new PhD students mainly to to get on it and just start following people in their field, start retweeting articles that are useful for you and your research in your field, essentially what I did. And then people will start to understand kind of what you're doing. And then in time, it can be a really useful platform to promote your your research to non-academics. I think that's, that's definitely the bonus that I found. But mm-hmm. I've also kind of got some invites to speak in terms of like at different conferences, more at uh, kind of clinical level and you know podiatry association and footwear uh, associations rather than perhaps the international academic your conferences it, it opens up a different um, audience um, but I do always say to them you know in the initial stages I definitely just stay away from <laughs> trying to get too involved and always remember that what you say then gets seen and <laughs> get seen by you know, the employers, uh, your friends, uh, people you might in future want to collaborate with. So be mindful if you're going to start hammering an article. Um, mm. It can be a two-way street as well. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what about um, in terms of keeping up to date? I mean, research is sold online as something that you should be looking at every day i did an interesting kind of uh just a questionnaire for a few people for therapists out there how many research papers do you manage to to read a week um and it was interesting i mean in actual fact the results i had was like apparently 75 percent of the people that i asked read more than three research papers a week and I was like, I was quite surprised. Now, obviously, no one's really going to answer me on social media and go, I don't read any because they're not, they've got nothing to gain from that. Yeah. But even three to me a week seems quite a lot. I mean, yeah, I'll hold my hands up and say, even I don't hit, I don't hit that number. Um, I, yeah, I haven't probably read a full paper in several several months. So I, I read more of them when uh, I've got a lecture to prep or. Uh, paper that I'm writing um, it's very hard very hard to keep up to date I, I spend more time probably looking at the titles and then the abstracts and then making a decision I also have a folder in my inbox of, of reading um, which I haven't opened in a good couple of months but I, I tend to just stick everything in there and hope that day comes when um, yeah. it's a never-ending a- list though I do that as well I've got my little organized things of things to read and it's all categorized into different pain or running or gait mm-hmm. and yeah i don't think i've dipped in them for quite a while very well presented if i ever needed to <laughs> there's yeah. more than mine's just one big folder and i just have links in it and i don't even know what i have to actually click on those links so i don't know what those papers are anymore and i'm like oh well, interesting just, it is hard isn't it so, i mean i mean a lot a lot of it is there's a there's a big onus out there and a lot of people are shouting at therapists saying you need to keep up to date with the research. It's all part of this evidence-based practice, which is like very topical and is being pushed a lot, um, which is kind of cool, obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to, as somebody who's involved in the research and providing, you know, part of that evidence, um, then how significant is the research? How much weight should therapists be giving to the research in order to provide evidence-based practice? probably uh, it's a whole podcast in itself but um <laughs> yes there are definitely some papers that are better quality than others there are definitely every paper is written with a bias because 
we're only going to do research and things we're interested in and therefore that's our bias that we bring so uh, I imagine it is very difficult to be able to wade through it all um, and be able to then yourself synthesize the good and the bad from that because you know that's what we spend three years teaching students to be able to try and do um, and it's hard to then do that on top of keeping up to everything um, so uh, I think it'd be, we, we provide more tools that people can use rather than necessarily kind of guidance of okay here's step one step two step three it's more actually this this might be useful it our gateway training paper for example um isn't okay right you should do this step by step it's more okay now we found internal focus is good so maybe just bear that in mind and maybe use that as a first port of call before an external for example rather than okay this is what this paper showed and i'm going to do exactly what they said uh, I think that's that's kind of how I would see using the research is it's kind of okay here's a here's a tool that I could potentially look to use um, and it's probably useful to have a few tools in your repertoire um, as a clinician. That's cool. No, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of yeah using it as a tool as opposed to just a recipe of to be a successful therapist. This is yeah. I mean, I one thing that I quite it does cause a bit of controversy is this diagram let's just bring this up here and the idea that when people are arguing pro and con of being an evidence-based therapist often they'll bring up this kind of stool thing i'm just going to take myself off here for a sec um let's put it like that so we can see it a bit better dun, 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 dun. oh that'll do so on the stall, then it just kind of reminds people that yes, the research is there and it's important to be aware of it. It's the way we move forwards. Um, but we've also got clinical experience, which some therapists will argue put more weight on it, as in what actually you see works in clinic. So some research might be very interesting and wonderful, but the actual um, use it is in actual real life clinic time might be less. Um, and then you've got also got the patient expectation, which is the other stall on here, because if you're going to run a business and you're going to see human beings, you've got to remember that they've come here with a certain need and a design. You can't just say, no, you don't need that at all. What you need is this because the research is here. Izzy Moore said we're going to do this. So that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those three there, do you see them evenly weighted or how would you comment on that kind of stall diagram? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting diagram. Um, and uh, having worked with a lot of uh, so sport and exercise medicine practitioners, particularly um, our students, we've got a master's course here. Um, they, they certainly bring a lot of valuable clinical experience that we would never be able to put in and put in an article. Um, and actually, a lot of that might actually inform our research in the first place. Uh, so it's very difficult to just kind of see it maybe as, and each patient probably is different you might actually weight it differently based on what through, walks through the door and what injury or problem you're faced with. Um, if you're faced with something that doesn't have much research, you're going to have to go on other things. Um, so it's probably a, probably something that comes balanced and weighted differently depending for each, each problem. Um, and again, the, the patient element is something that we, certainly I, I don't do a lot of, research in and around we, we try not to ask them too many things and too many perceptions because that's just another variable and 
something that we have to throw into our statistical model and deal with. Um, but having been a patient, having gone through two ACL reconstructions myself, it, you know, that kind of the relationship and the, their beliefs, you, you can't ignore them. Um, and it's probably worse now because of things like social media and what they have access to. Worse might not be the best word, but um, when I was going through rehab, I had good trust in my physio and um, probably on the basis that she had good clinical experience. She was very experienced in ACL rehab and I probably had the assumption that it was based on some sort of evidence, but I I didn't really ask about it when I was younger. Um, so I'm not you know, the patient element, I don't know how much they always ask or, or want to know about the evidence. They probably just assume that it's mixed in with your experience and what you're treating them with. Uh, so it's probably not a balanced one, depending on, on who and what walks through the door. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a very wise answer. Yeah, you can't wait them. It's always going to depend on yeah, who walks through the door and what situation you're dealing with. Yeah, it's very true. And that's probably the art of being a therapist is being able to change the weight according to the situation and the you know the person in front of you um but uh, yeah it's uh you're not on social media so you wouldn't be aware of the the huge debates you can imagine them where the people who are trying to justify what some would regard as pseudoscience are saying oh yes but just because science hasn't proven it and it's not the studies don't prove it means that it doesn't mean it doesn't work it's just science doesn't know how it works yet and other people say no 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 that's ridiculous you know you've got to make sure it's the research supports otherwise you're wasting your time and then blah 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 it goes backwards and forwards so I think your answer is probably the most diplomatic and the most sensible that I've heard so far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, I will give a shout out to Eric Mira, who kind of suggested, I liked his idea of saying that rather than it being a stall, it's actually more of a funnel. Um, and yeah, because which starts with the best available evidence and the research, but then you have to kind of filter that and incorporate um you know the patient view and expectation and how it works and as long as you kind of move maybe in that order in that direction um then that if you are going to promote evidence-based practice you know yeah uh, well, yes, as well, sorry i was going to say sitting as a researcher i know that there's a lot of papers out there that aren't that good so it's uh it's very hard to say i'll oh, just dive into the research and what the research says then then follow it when that research may not be the strongest uh, research in the first place so um yeah i think the more you kind of know about one of those levels the perhaps more uh, skeptical you, you might become at uh, how much you you use it which leads me on nicely to the next question because i never really understood this and maybe you can kind of help how come there is so much poor research out there? Um, or is it bad of me to say that? Because I'm kind of judging that some is poor. But some of it, when I read a critique of it by somebody who I admire and they they kind of, you know, highlight some information, some of the, you know, maybe it's simply as simple as there hasn't been adequate blinding or something or that the, the sample was informed before what to expect or something that seems so basic. Why do these people still, how do they publish it? Why do they bother publishing it? What's the deal? Uh, I guess you know, we've got we've got a hell of a lot more journals than than we used to have, um, and so you, the, the, from a kind of academic uh, perspective, we know these are the stronger journals, and then there's kind of middle ones, and then there's less strong ones, um, and so 
in those journals want papers and there's a lot of academics who perhaps haven't had the training to do the high quality research because we all have different kind of training from different institutes um, or they have multiple pressures you know we're all under pressure to, to publish publish good quality but also publish volume but in previous years it used to be a lot more about volume so that probably drove it up um, uh, and we need to show that we've got track records to get money so we need to get some publications out there so we might do kind of the, the quick and dirty publication which is just a straightforward simple one so that we can get to the more high quality one um, and yeah so I think that you know it's a it's kind of a, a storm of of why that that all happens and then it just makes it harder for people who you don't have the time, um, the training or inclination to want to wade through trying to decipher what is good and what is bad. Um, and, you know, what I think is good, uh, someone else from a different field will pick up on other things that they don't necessarily agree on. Uh, but ultimately, we, we all have a certain time and um, we want to publish and, and improve people's knowledge. So... If it's taken me a year to get 10 participants, am I going to spend another two years to get 30 or 40 that people would be happier with? Uh, if I know that my stats and um, the strength of what I'm finding is is okay anyway. So so there's yeah, there's a whole mix of, of, of why that we have potentially the problem or, or the, what we see at the moment. It's, it's lovely hearing it coming from you who's... Because online it seems like the, the thing that's always pushed is the reason there's poor quality papers out there is because they're being funded by somebody who wants to get their message across. And that's why they're kind of paying for it and pushing it out there. And you get the impression if you look online that this is really what the problem is. But obviously you've just bought, highlighted the fact that um, it's pressure to fill up the, the journals. It's also a business thing where they've got to fill the pages. You've got, well, something as innocent as a, a an academic who's just not that experienced and they're doing it as, good a job as they can and they're probably really proud of that paper but the resources that they have so you know yeah. labs differ for lab doesn't have a 3d motion capture system because it costs about a hundred grand to install and get a new one then you know they've done 2d they've done what they can do um yeah, so, yeah it's then. really who would have thought it's really insightful listening to someone is actually in the business as opposed to someone just sitting at a keyboard talking about it it's uh it's good i'm hoping that a lot of people listening to this will reflect the same way as i am um when you actually have it coming from the horse's mouth if you'll excuse the expression but yeah um so one thing though that you did mention i can understand the lesser known journals um producing maybe lower quality studies but that implies that if you go to a big journal that all you know, I'm going to say, don't you? That everything that appears in it is going to be really good quality. Yeah. That's not always the case, is it? No. <laughs> so, yeah. any theories? I mean, what you said so far, presumably they've got the volume to pick and choose what they put in. They've got mm -hmm. the funding. Yeah. Uh, they've probably got people there who can proofread it and check it. So, yeah. uh, again, probably there are multiple multiple reasons. Uh, often you. Your name helps, uh, your, your name in terms of reputation, your, your name in terms of who you know on the editorial board. And uh, although we might not like to think that comes into play, um, 
you know, I, I, I think we'd be naive to think it doesn't. Um, particularly, you know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of journals, but you know, I have heard quite a few things on the grapevines, and you know, we've had knockbacks because of. I'm pretty sure I could know who the reviewers were, who were people who were friends with them. So it, it, those sorts of things happen. I, um, you know, and I think um, sometimes it can just be topical. So if it's a, a solid name and it's a, a, a piece that you think is going to get lots of citations, uh, that's going to improve your journal's rating. Um, so a lot of journals have become, I think, quite tactical in what they publish. So it improves their metrics. So things like editorials, which aren't really, you know, they're not experimental studies or necessarily uh, publications that we're used to seeing. They're more opinion pieces. Uh, they push. They tend to get cited through the roof um, and almost inflate your impact factor as a journal um, because of how that calculation works out. Um, but they're not actually kind of. If my students, for example, were hanging their hat on an argument based on editorial rather than a tested study, I'd tell them to go and have a look at their references and and pick up that critique. Um, but and edit, but editorials are shorter, so they're more digestible, I guess, from a readability point of view. Yeah, so there, there's all those kind of things that I think play into it. Yeah, um, it struck my mind. I'm guilty of, and again, I want you to correct me on this, but as soon as I see that a research paper has been funded by somebody who's going to have a bias, I kind of I'm like already dismissing that paper, which isn't probably fair because research takes money doesn't it and if it if you can only get money from somebody you could still have somebody who's funding it who who would quite like everybody to be weighing for example i don't know vibrams um but they may be really good people who just want to do the uh, uh, quality test and mm -hmm. they may well own up at the end of the test if as long as if the answers didn't kind of support their original kind of thesis then they'll say it but um, it's quite a big one, isn't it? If you do see a paper that's being funded by somebody and the result coincides with what they're selling, it's tricky to take that paper seriously, isn't it? Or Yeah, and I guess being, being on this side, I know that they do tend to review the papers before they're published. Um, so, you know, most of our rugby papers, we work for the Welsh Rugby Union. We have the head of medicine as our co-author, but they've actually been extremely good. You know, when we go, your injury rates are massively high. They never want to hide that. They've they've never they've never tried to do that. They've been great to work with. But I've had you know others look over papers that are very eager to change sentences and, and phrases and come back with essentially we have to go through reviewer comments before we've sent it off to publish. So so I think it's definitely something to to be wary of. Um, but at the same point. Yeah, footwear is probably a prime one. Um, if you want to test footwear, who else is going to pay for that research than, than companies that, that want to uh, see if their shoes work in uh, an independent capacity? And often those individuals might not read those papers. It depends on the funding relationship. So, yeah, it's sometimes I would say uh, – look at it understand it but you know if the results are quite compelling um other than making up that data 
which I'd hope that most academics wouldn't wouldn't go down the path of. It might just be the subtleties of how they've explained the results and described it, but the data itself should should be the data itself. Mm. Cool. Okay, let's move into a more positive tone rather than people making up data and stuff. Because <laughs> um, how easy is it to to actually for therapists to get the research? Yeah, um, is there a lot of free stuff out there. What sort of percentage yeah. do you think of papers can can therapists get for free? Oh, probably quite a low proportion. I think most most journals they they won't have access um, unless the paper itself is open access, which essentially means the the authors have had to pay for it. Um, uh, you know, there's some figures around about three thousand pounds I had to pay once when I get a publication open access, which is why I can't do that every time I publish. Um, but I just recommend people just contacting the author and asking for it. Is if if you have if you're struggling, if you put it on Twitter, I know quite a few people ask for it on Twitter and probably get good responses. And if that doesn't work, um, I, I just drop the author an email because quite often um, we're just happy that people are reading it. <laughs> so yeah, so we can send then our copy that we have on to people. Well. it's funny you should say that because i did find a, an example of that and you're a fantastic example of i think you were tweeting out saying if you want the free text and here's the link and so forth and it's surprising yeah. how many authors are very happy to do that there's when you were doing access to the full test of our gateway training paper with tom goom and son um yeah and you gave a link out but um i did a little survey on um online as well just about where people get it from and it was encouraging to see how many people said oh, i just emailed the author and most of the time mm -hmm. if they don't get back to me maybe they're just too busy but when they did read the email yeah certainly there you go yeah or, or you know research gate is probably the next best um place so it's kind of the, the academic uh, kind of equivalent of our cvs that are out there of kind of here and they might not be the fact the issue is they might not be the final pdf um, right. the time they might be kind of the word document that then got formatted for the pdf but often uh, authors will put versions of of the article that are as near as publication level as, as possible on there as well so yeah yeah that's cool and um yeah i mean i think i just want to bring up a screenshot of pubmed because that's one that often people will go to and it's not, I don't think it's that clear on there how to just bring up the, the free text because the links are a little bit small. So I'm just going to bring that up here because when people do go to uh, PubMed, let's just bring this up and put it there by itself. Um, you can see when you're on there, uh, there are clear links which show, I mean, you do a search, for example, put in the author's name or something. I think on this one, I, yeah, I put in your name. Um, and down on the side, there are, boxes there which you can select whether you want to see pay only or free reads and stuff and as soon as you tick that it changes the sample you've got in front of you to the free ones and like when i did it with you there was still plenty of papers there which were still free access um, and you're led there and you can see the whole thing and i think a lot of therapists don't realize that um, but it's a great way of filtering it on pubmed just to get the free ones and also at the bottom of the page when you bring up a paper there's another little box there which you can easily miss where it shows you links to um, possible ways of seeing the text for free. Um, so it is there. And I've, I don't know, I just got the impression that a lot of maybe new therapists, I don't know whether it's taught enough on courses or whether you have on what level of studies, but it does seem to be a lot there anyway for, for therapists to be getting on with. 
uh, and not just read the abstract, which is another interesting thing. I think Daniel Gerber, osteopath, I think he's still an osteopath. There's a story there somewhere, Daniel. But anyway, um, from Glasgow, um, he asked a question a bit of a while ago. Sorry, Daniel, to um, keep you waiting. But yeah, how often does Izzy find the abstract misleading? It's a personal bugbear of his. What do you think about abstracts? Are they something which just are dangerous or can you extract enough information from them or does it just depend? Yeah, to be honest, it, it depends. Uh, I think when I did used to start doing mine, I probably didn't realise the value um, of them. Again, similar with my title, because actually that's the way I filter things first. I, I, well, I have to go by title. I don't have enough time to read it all. Um, and so abstracts, it yeah, will try and put the key information. Um, but often if you've measured multiple things, that will only really give you part of the story. And if if it's been a bit of a struggle then you know as daniel says they might they can potentially be a bit misleading um and tell you half the story or, or less than that uh bearing in mind it's 250 words to get everything across but yeah i have i have read some where you read it and go oh oh wow okay they've concluded that and then you read the the extra paper and you're like oh, i'm not i'm not too sure but um I tend to just look at the kind of main date a bit and see if it's interesting. Um, but again, we have to cherry pick what we put in um, to make it fit. So often we'll have to leave out a lot of the details. So it is really just the kind of, does this get your interest rather than here's the full story, what do you think? Uh, that's the main point of an abstract, I guess. It's a summary. Um, yeah. And it's totally up to the author as to the content of that. It's not proofread or anything. It's what you read is. Uh, well, I get you. So uh, you know, I've, as as a reviewer, I've viewed many articles. We we get the abstracts. So uh, again, it depends. Uh, I guess quite a few reviewers might glaze over them and assume they they know the study. Um, I've tended to go through them, um, correct numbers. Sometimes there can be mismatches between the abstract just because of. We're all human um, and the main body of text. Uh, but quite often, I, I don't, I've never had to go through an abstract and say, this is completely wrong. I wouldn't have put right. this. I may not have written it that way, but it's it's their article at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. They do, do you get that. Pardon? Do you review a lot of papers? Do you get asked to do that? Or um, to do so, I used to do a lot more since I, I, take, I took on kind of a program director at the university and had more PhD students I've had to say no more more times than I've said yes recently I try to at least as a minimum do as many reviews as I do publish in a year as a kind of it's kind of if, if you're doing if you're publishing you can't really say no to everything but yeah. it's something that we don't uh, I think there's a lot on Twitter at the moment. You don't get paid for. Um, it's a bit of a thankless task sometimes. Uh, it does tend to drop off the end of the to-do list. Um, so I have I have reviewed quite a lot, but I've taken taken a step back in recent year. Really. Yeah, I think it's quite amazing that I think there was a post by Greg Lehman the other day where he just kind of highlighted the fact that somebody contacted him to review some papers and I think he just asked for like, well, okay, I need full access to all of your papers and I need, uh, I don't know, for the next six months or something. They said, no, 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 we want it this week or something, or we can't give you all that data. And Greg was like, well, how am I going to review these papers if you're not giving me this information and these timelines? And he just said, sorry, no, I can't do it then. And, but, and, and also you don't get paid for it. You know, it's just like, 
can you spend some time doing this please because you've got nothing else to do but yeah i thought that was incredible i didn't realize you don't get paid for it no. yeah i don't understand that but anyway hey we're getting negative again um cool okay let's um let me have a look down my list to see how much i've actually forgotten about i think we've got in pretty good order so far PubMed. um the other one again i just wanted to mention and like in at, you at cardiff aren't you cardiff met um students do they get access to many journals there yep tons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they use them do you think as much as they can or uh, uh, not your students obviously they're on there every day but in general do students take advantage of it or uh, I, uh, <laughs> not as much as we would like them to that's a good I, answer I, I would be my honest appraisal we we recommend reading every week most of us um usually we give them that text um during the dissertation that's probably when it comes into the the forefront more um i you know i think we we probably need to get better at kind of actually now teaching search strategies which we don't, right. we don't necessarily always do um but they do get you know they every year we kind of get requests saying what journals would be useful as it changed we've already got all of this access um so at university students have a huge huge amount of access that, that, from a journal perspective um mm. And I think it's probably not until their final year when they have to do a dissertation that they take more advantage of it. I think it was quite a popular answer when I put the questions out online that, um, yeah, if you've got a friend at university, because it's almost ironically, it's not until maybe you've been in practice for a couple of years, you actually think, you know what, I actually want to use that um, yeah. free access now. But yeah, you can, I don't know whether it's, I don't know what the permissions are like, but yeah, a lot of people will contact their friend at university and say, you know what, you've got access to that. Can I see that paper? I mean, yeah. it's, that's yeah. another good way of doing it. I think I don't think it's breaking any rules. I'm not sure. Forgive me if it is. No. Um, and it so, might even be a student read the article, so it might actually yeah, be. Uh, yeah. it might encourage them. That's a good thing. Yeah. Peer learning. Yeah. Well, if he's interested or she's interested, then maybe I should read it. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for therapist out there, because um, what I want this chat with um, Izzy to do is to show that you have maybe got more access than you thought. Um, via free access on on pubmed or looking up researchgate or even just asking friends at university contacting the author which i thought was a lovely one mm -hmm. i imagine if you're in control of your inbox which I'm, I'm sure you're not and it just gets over laden with emails but it must be quite nice i guess to have somebody going oh really interested in this text depending on how they ask yeah. but um is that is that the case yeah. is it nice to know no, people yeah. Yeah, we we publish and then oh, we're never really too sure how many people actually do read the full text, especially, uh, you know, in this day and age where people would rather a two-minute video or an infographic. So mm. it, you're right, we may not, you know, turn it around in a day or two, um, but often it's quite nice to have a bit of a dialogue with someone. They might have questions and uh, they tend to be questions that you wouldn't have thought of or, you've had from other academics that read it that, that or that's what I tend to find anyway um mm -hmm. have, yeah, a few coaches oh, every now and again send me an email and they often say things that I've literally never thought about so it's, it's actually quite nice it opens a bit of a dialogue which might be useful for, for both parties I think I think it's natural especially for younger therapists to see those the names of the authors with just the surname and a couple of initials and think oh no i can't contact them i mean they're not on my level they're just like these people up there but at the end of the day if, if people realize they probably like to be contacted and they're humans they're doing a lot of hard work and they like to know that people are reading it and then also like like 
a lot of researchers haven't got time to share the information and share the paper. So if someone else is doing that for them, then that's good news as well, yeah. I guess. And I was quite surprised to hear that because one of my worries was if people are finding ways to access these papers without paying for it, then that's taking funding away from actual research. And it was like, oh, no, don't do that. You know, you should only really pay for it. And but <laughs> apparently it's not. No, no money away from, well, not to my knowledge, but it doesn't impact the, the funding that we get or that I've ever had. So people who, who so the money that's charged, I mean, some people belong to really good organizations as part of the package, then you get access to the journals, which is fantastic. But the money which is charged for journals or, or see particular texts doesn't actually, isn't one of the kind of funding, the, the, the fountains of money that goes into then help research. No, I, I thought that was quite crazy. Not to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure it just goes to the, the publishers. Yeah. And the publishers don't, well, I've not heard of a publisher funding any sports science type research. So I don't think. Interesting one. Okay. So, because for me personally, that would always be in the back of my mind like, oh, no, I definitely wouldn't tell you about this because if I tweet a free link, hey, guess what? You can get access to Izzy's Gate retraining paper here. I'll be thinking, oh, no, because indirectly I'm taking money away from future stuff, but it's not the case. Okay. Well, that's a bombshell. That's an important one, I think, for Fairpass out there as well. If you find a free link, then share it because yeah. the researchers yeah. are not losing anything. Yeah. It's not like where you're downloading an illegal song or something or a torrent and, you know, it's not pirated. Yeah, no, no. Once, once we've published, um, I, I think most of the time we sign over rights uh, to the, the version that the publishers end up producing. So if someone has, has, a, free, has a version of that, it, we, don't lose, we don't lose out. Okay, that's interesting. That's, that's, really, I think that's really significant. Yeah, that's a significant answer, I think. Um, I didn't realise that myself. Cool. Um, bum, 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 bum. How are we doing? Let's have a look. I think I know the answer. To that, I mean, it's very tricky to tell whether a paper is of, a study is of high quality or not. We kind of, I think it depends case to case. But are there, you can just say no if you want, but are there any particular things which scan reading you can look out for where you think, oh, that's a bit of a red flag, or is it just a case by case? Probably case by case, but my best advice would be if you're looking at kind of biomechanics and it's in a journal that is journal of biomechanics, journal of applied biomechanics, or you're Scandinavian journal of sport medicine or medicine of science and sport and exercise, you're probably, you're probably going to be decent biomechanics in there. Um, whereas if they're in journals that aren't a biomechanics focused journal, then they're going to probably get less scrutiny over the biomechanics methodology and processing that's required. So that, that would do it. It's like EMG is probably the easiest one to say. Yeah, a lot of people use it. Um, it's actually a very difficult data to, to process and analyze well. Um, and so when you see perhaps a lot of EMG in some journals that aren't notoriously kind of the science and perhaps more practitioner applied journals, it might be that data isn't as good or hasn't been processed as well as maybe if it was in the journal of kinesiology and EMG, that, mm. that's going to be a good EMG paper. Um, oh, than, you mean. Yeah. So the actual journal, if they if that's their subject matter, they're going to, they don't want to publish anything, which is, 
is a bit shabby because it's their reputation as well on the line kind of thing. They're kind of rule of thumb. They're probably ones, as we discussed earlier, who slip through the net. But in terms of having to, rather than having to know the ins and outs, signal processing for EMG, which uh, does bore most people, that's mm. just probably one way to look at it. Yeah. What about terms like, I mean, let's, let's go from what I think the most basic is, or, or the answer might not be, but things like sample size is one which is often quoted on, on Twitter or or Facebook. Um, often it's maybe something where the sample size is quite small. I don't know how we decide what small is, but how do you look at a paper and how do you know whether the sample size is going to mean it's low study or low quality? Or It's not always a case of the bigger the sample size, the better, no? No. Um, so uh, sample size is due to like the power, um, which again, I won't necessarily get into specifics, but the, one of the main differentiations between maybe a good study that has low numbers is in the methods they'll have a what they call a power calculation of we use some information to calculate what is the minimum number of participants we need and uh, usually we might try and get a bit above that but that's our threshold um, whereas some won't have that calculation so it doesn't allow people uh, to determine it so that that calculation is kind of how how can we maybe find difference? What's the smallest sample side I need to find that difference? Um, uh, and so if we're pursuing kind of high quality work, we're always encouraged to, to perform those calculations so that we know, okay, I, want, I need to target 12. And actually in a lot of biomechanics research, because of the accuracy of our systems and the interventions, quite often we don't need, we don't need large numbers to find it. Um, but the more kind of complex your study designs, more factors you're testing, the sample size tends to increase. Uh, that, that's probably the kind of straightforward answer. So no, the smaller, low sample sizes, I often have a go at my students as a bit of a lazy critique. Mm. You know, if You can use that if you know why low, because it's underpowered and therefore I can't, take the kind of results as meaningful but if it's a low sample size and it's adequately powered then we have no issues with our interpretation okay now that's interesting that's good so that, that's something you can look out for um how about the whole blinding thing because that's something which confuses um some therapists when they're looking at um who's blind and who's not and whether everyone needs to be blind and how can you how can you possibly do it with everyone blind and tell us a little bit about blinding maybe from your own personal experience yeah, so it does depend on what intervention you're trying to run. A lot of the time it's, it's probably impossible to blind certain things and you ha then have to come up with shams. Um, what you tend to find is the participants get blinded. Um, and the double blinded is then when also people who are analysing the data are blinded to what group, so they get the data, analyse it without knowing. Um so there's kind of different different levels. Um, and I guess probably a lot of the typical sport and exercise medicine research doesn't tend to be blinded because um, there, I guess there are perhaps ethical questions around if you really know that one intervention is going to work, why would you why would you want to give another intervention and then blind people to, to what they're doing? And particularly if we're doing manual techniques on people, you can't really blind them. To that, so um, I, I've never used blinding in 
in what we do, we just tend to give people minimal information. So, for example, the, the recent gate retraining paper we did, we didn't even tell people we were looking at foot strike. We, it was as minimal. It was we just want you to see what how you respond. And people were like, respond to what? We're like, gonna say something, uh, and just just respond. Don't. And you know, if they they asked, am I doing it right? The response was, there is there is no right and wrong. We just there was no information about the fact that we're looking at the foot prior to the cue being given. So it was all very kind of controlled in that manner, mm. um, but wasn't necessarily blinded to um, what group they're in. Because, I mean, they didn't know what internal, external focus meant anyway. But um, mm. uh, so we just tend not to use like psychology students in that example, because they will have an understanding of of the endocrine theory. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you know that they don't know what's internal, external without us? It's almost yeah. like a jury. How do you decide on what sample you're going to use? So, yes, yeah, so, a lot of the time it will be. So in that example, it was so as long as they're not sports psychology or psychology students. Yeah. They're only going to be in one group. So they won't know that what the other cue is. They won't be able to pick up on the fact that how different it is and what it is on. Um, and we used uh, recreational runners, which tends to just be quite an active cohort that we have on campus. Um, and a lot of those actually aren't even sports science students. They don't even have knowledge of running gait. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, that, that does influence, we, you know, we've had, uh, I can't be a participant in any of our studies because I understand the, the theory, but I also understand what we're trying to look for. And mm. therefore, and I'm quite good at changing my gait having done it for a few years now. Um, and likewise, if we get people who are very good at biomechanics in the lab and understand their running, um, again, they, they tend to be a little bit more clued up on, on what they're doing. Um, mm. So, so yeah, we kind of, oh, we've had one, we had, we've just tested about uh, 20 people and we've had to, we kicked out a couple just because I wasn't convinced that, yeah, I knew one of them was a very good biomechanist. I was like, we shouldn't have had him. Um, and yeah, he's done a very good job, but he knows what to do because he knows yeah, his So that's true. Having worked with sports psychologists, I have a lot more kind of control now, I think. Um, biomechanics doesn't tend to worry too much. Mm. In the past, I haven't. But now sports psychologists are very good at making sure the, the whole environment, what you tell the participants, is very controlled so we can specifically test that element of, the, of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And is there another, I mean, there's quite a few terms which people might come across. I mean, I did put in the advertising that people would find out what a p-value is, because that seems to be tossed around willy-nilly. But in a nutshell, p-value? Uh, so in a nutshell, it's kind of basically about probability. Um, but actually, we're really testing. So people write a hypothesis, usually that there's going to be a difference in whatever we're testing. But then, So the null hypothesis is that there's no difference. Um, and actually, what we're we're testing is the null hypothesis rather than is the hypothesis true. Um, so the p-value is, um, you know, are we actually finding a, a difference when there is no difference, and what's the probability of that? So we use zero point zero five as like the golden <laughs> the golden figure of it. It's under that, which is means that there's five percent probability that we found something to be true when it shouldn't be. Um, that's essentially what it is 
Um, I think over the years it's perhaps got a little bit lost and there's statisticians banging their heads against the rule at how we use it. Um, but yeah, some people use a 10% threshold, but essentially it's a 5% threshold of probability. Yeah. And is it something that if you're critiquing a paper or something that comes into play and can render a, a study as low quality? Oh, if the p-value is, is not significant? Yeah. Is it something um, which, yeah? Um, I think uh, we all like to have a significant value. Um, we're human. We love to find that. But actually, a lot of the time, I'd say the strongest studies are when it doesn't actually matter what you find. If you refute the, the, the hypothesis, it just means you develop the theory and you go to the next study and you've got a different angle. Mm. Um, whereas if you support it, that's great. And then you've kind of shown some evidence for it. But, you know, science is just about developing our theories and hypotheses as more evidence comes to light. So I think, if anything, we, we've got into a system where we always want you. You'll rarely find a study that hasn't found a significance somewhere. But right. there will be many, many studies where there haven't been a significant finding, but people might struggle to publish okay. um, findings like that, uh, or people might not want to. Um, yeah yeah they'll just use it for the next study or something or yeah mm. okay very interesting well look it's 227 already um i'm hoping thinking back there's i think there's an awful lot of information in there for not just new therapists but seasoned therapists as well in terms of um finding research what to do when you've got the research uh, valuing it and that sort of stuff um and also just having a bit more respect for the people who are doing the research um, when it comes to criticizing them, because there are humans at the end like Izzy, who um, I'm sure they're very thick skinned and they don't even read the reviews or, or things online. But um, it's still a case of just, yeah, understanding who you're criticizing when you when you sit there at your keyboard talking about research. Um, what are you on at the moment? What are you doing at the moment, Izzy? Have you got anything exciting uh, you're working on? Yeah, we've got a follow up study paper with just published um so we've got all the data i i have a few final tweaks to make and then we'll have it all analyzed so we're looking forward to kind of getting that out and probably another year maybe it'll take us to in terms of again another queuing one but looking at uh, efficiency and how that relates to your efficiency and smoothness of, of running so that's my kind of big main one but uh, i've got a couple of phd projects now doing um some more kind of rugby medicine work as well so um hopefully in the next few years it'll be quite productive so I'm looking forward fantastic to it. it's amazing how when you say like that'll be around in about a year it's amazing the timelines which you guys have to work on um, yeah. yeah quite incredible it's driving you quite mad um so yeah you're coming out of brighton which is probably the most exciting thing for me um and you can be talking about the research behind gate retraining and stuff isn't it in queues and that's gonna be really valid to the people who come and see the conference um yeah so um thank you again for that um uh, yeah it's gonna be fantastic to see you live talking and also the question time i'm really looking forward to because you're gonna be on stage with nine other speakers and some of them will be pre-questions sent in so just reminding people who are listening if you are coming to the conference and do email me some questions for people like um izzy um and the other speakers other ones will just be straight from the floor which i'm really looking forward to um just so the speakers won't know what's going to come up um and i'm hoping that will generate maybe some Obviously, we're kind of all on the same page, but there's often, I'm sure there'll be some differences between what you adhere to and maybe J.F. Escoulier, um, definitely with Derek. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Um, 
Fantastic. Well, I think what we'll do then, um, we'll wrap it up. Uh, is there anything else apart from obviously the one chat live conference you're going to be presenting anywhere else have you got anything else coming up uh i think we're hoping to get out to monaco for sun and for sunny but yeah monaco's all right as well um, <laughs> which conference is that, What's that for? it's the olympic uh international olympic committee conference it happens every three years i think so hoping hoping to get out there and meet some meet some new collaborators we're working with um but yeah at the moment this is this is the one for for my running related stuff so make sure i bring my a game to it well it's important that people bring themselves to it because like i say i mean yeah it's not that often which you're actually there and ready to have people find questions at you and it'd be a great networking opportunity as well and you're coming along to the social evening are you i booked your table at las iguanas favorite cocktail or are you not a drinker uh if i if i do drink it is cocktails because they're so sweet so uh, i'm not that fussy when it comes to cocktails as long as they're, they're sweet fantastic okay well it's two for one so we'll make sure you get two for one sweet ones all night <laughs> wonderful well thank you again um izzy for giving up an hour of your time a bit like research and uh this is you don't get paid for this so thank you very much <laughs> i do appreciate it been really good and hopefully there's some useful information in there for us. well i'll be sure that i mean i get some emails and feedback but if you anyone listening to this whether it's live or on the podcast um um yeah do tweet something i think twitter's probably where they're most likely to eventually get a response for you or you see it is it twitter uh, yeah probably twitter <laughs> yeah and you are is it all dr izzy moore all one word uh, i think it's uh, izzy moore phd so. oh is more phd it's true um so yeah on twitter find and do send something um don't be look you can see it's a normal person okay it's a human oh, being yeah. and guess what she likes to hear from people and know that her research is being read and and yeah so fantastic so thank you very much and uh, i'm sure we'll speak before but um i'm really looking forward to meeting you in person in brighton look forward to it thank you very much right. i'll send you back down to the lobby hang around for a bit because i'll come down and thank you again in a couple of minutes i'm just going to sign out um but yeah there we go ladies and gentlemen that was uh dr izzy moore thank you very much izzy thank you right wonderful um that, oh, i always enjoy my guests because i just pick my guests so i know i'm gonna get so much out of it but i'm thinking inside thinking back to what we've talked about and what you can gain from it that that's been um a useful hour for people listening obviously not so much for runners but maybe it'll give runners an idea of what therapists have to go through to actually provide a good service or what they should be going through um in terms of keeping up to date with the latest research and evidence and stuff therapists um if there isn't some interesting i mean i think there's been a few bombshells in there myself um, the idea that you can actually contact the author to get free copies, uh, the fact that you could call on a friend at university, um, using PubMed, maybe that's something you didn't know about. Um, and maybe just thinking twice before criticizing from your keyboard research papers out there. There's an awful lot of hot debates out there slagging off research and criticizing it and going, oh, these people shouldn't have even been able to publish it. But, you know, maybe they're academics just starting out. And it's the old thing, you know, walk a step in their shoes before you start criticizing them so maybe i've got a bit more respect now for any paper out there I'm a, i feel a little bit less cynical i don't believe that everybody who produces a bad paper is because they're being funded by someone who just wants to support their claims or the product they're selling i feel less cynical thanks to dr izzy moore and that's always a good thing uh, you don't want to be too cynical but anyway um like i say just to uh, sum up don't forget what i said at the beginning of this 
um be live software if you're interested in getting into podcasting you just want to try it maybe you just want to play around for a month interview some of your friends or guests and just test it out then the link is trial.b.live forward slash podcasting uh, i will put the link in the notes and if you're watching the video it'll be underneath me at the moment um yeah trial.b.live forward slash podcasting a free month to try out belive um online guest software um and your name will automatically go into um a hat to win a blue yeti mic blackout edition which will be drawn on october the first so uh yeah give it a go and let me know if you do apply for it let me know if you win that'll be fantastic to hear right thank you very much again to our sponsors bright beer company thank you to dr izzy moore thank you to everyone who's joined us thank you for daniel for the questions um as always leave some reviews if you can on itunes if you do enjoy it spread the good word that's all you want to do is get the good word out there my name is matt phillips this has been one chat live episode 33 we will see you next week which i believe is dun 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 drum roll added I think it's Derek Griffin, believe it or not. Check on social media. We'll put it out there. Right. Goodbye. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.